Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One podcast. Tonight, I'm going to bring you a mailbag episode. It's Thursday, September 22nd. Uh, we've been traveling a little bit this week. Work has brought us away from our typical content and usage. So uh, apologize if we've been a little bit more radio silent on social media than normal. But we were able to put up the bat signal out there and ask for any of your questions. We're going to plan on answering as many, if not all of those in this session as we can. But as typical here, when we do a solo pod, a mailbag podcast, we want to make sure that we outline a couple things for, you know, what we have coming up here at the box and one, as well as, you know, making sure that, uh, that we hit all the nuts and bolts that can sometimes be harder to do when we have guests on the pod. So first and foremost for me, and, and I've been horrible at saying this, I'm not the best with self-promotion a lot of the time. Please follow us on social media platforms on YouTube at my name, Adam Spinella, Twitter at the box and one underscore. Most importantly, find us on those podcast platforms, those Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast content. Please give us a rating, leave comments, follow us on those pages, anything to help move us up those algorithms and be heard by more people is incredibly appreciated on our end. We also made an announcement and might have gotten lost in the shuffle of everything that goes on on Twitter and the, the busy world that we're living in with Robert Williams and Ime Yudoka news to, to anything else going on in the league. Um, we made a, an announcement last week. We're going to be launching the Box and One Scouting Service coming this fall. Something that I've been working on all summer, really excited for. Uh, I see this as an avenue to not just separate ourselves from a lot of the other draft scouts and, and you know content creators out there, but really to be useful to college coaches and programs, to front offices, international teams looking for prospects. It's just going to allow us to have a consistent format for finding the notes finding our analysis on every prospect that we come into contact with and end up scouting. So really excited for the format of this. We're working with some programmers, some people on the, the website side who are just much smarter than I am. I have no idea what I'm doing uh, in terms of how to code a website or create anything like that, but it's supposed to be a little bit better looking, a little bit more user-friendly, have some search features something that'll be able uh, to go hand in hand with what we produce over on our Substack and our YouTube channel. I've had some time to jot down a bunch of ideas for the upcoming NBA and college seasons for what we can do to enhance our presence on the YouTube side of things. So a lot of really exciting stuff coming here at the box and one that, uh, you know, it, it's a great time for, for basketball to be starting up in the coming months, but We've been diving in this offseason to not just the content, but what can we do to make this experience better for all of you who are uh, listeners, followers, and people that have supported us along the way. So a quick thank you to all of you who have done that, but really excited about this new new venture that we're going in here with the Box and One Scouting Service. The big news in the media right now and what's going on the last couple of days has been all around Yime Yudoka and the Boston Celtics. I am going to wait to weigh in on any of this stuff until a later date and time. Um, I write for Celtics blog. I think that most listeners do know that about me. I grew up a Celtics fan. I cover the team in a more intimate way than I do most around the NBA. So 
a lot of my thoughts are going to be, you know, pen to paper or I guess fingers to keyboard there and, and for Celtics blog in that community. But um, my focus is going to be a lot more on the team aspect of this, how to manage and navigate your way through a coaching change midseason, a, a tumultuous period in time, how to keep everybody's sights laser focused on what the team's able to accomplish on court and not let this derail them. So uh, not my place to be able to weigh in on Ime on anything that's gone on within that organization, because simply there aren't enough facts or pieces of information that I know. But as far as the team is concerned, that's going to be a lot of my focus on what comes out about that. So if you've not heard a lot from me on the topic, there's a reason why it's just not worth uh, me speculating about without having full detail. All right. The real reason many of you are here is, is just answering some of your mailbag questions and really appreciate all of those who tuned them in. Uh, I did not really read through these before getting here on the podcast. So we're going to go off the cuff and see if we can answer some of the questions. I've got the Twitter thread pulled up here. Let's dive right in. Uh, SF Hoops, which shout out SF Hoops, a frequent contributor to any of these mailbag segments. Great supporter of the box and one work really salute you for, for all that you've done to, to help us. So thank you. Uh, SF hoops wants to know what our thoughts are on Cam Whitmore's handle and his mid range game. Uh, definitely something that we've written about and we'll continue to write about before. I think both points came up in our summer scouting report that we did on YouTube on Whitmore. Uh, his mid range game is very unpolished at this point in time. He's got a sidestep or a step back jumper when he drives to his left doesn't have that same thing to his right. Very uh, dominant based on which side he's driving to. If he's driving left, it's going to be a step back or a jumper. If he's driving right, he's going to try to bully you to the rim. Because he plays so hard, so so fast off the bounce and is trying to use his physicality, those are guys who really struggle to consistently hit their pull-up jumpers. So I do think that's an area to watch for Whitmore this year. When he does come to a full and complete jump stop or a stride stop and pivots around, has his one-two step into some sort of a turnaround jumper, I think his touch is fine. Uh, it's a little bit slow of a shot, which doesn't always lend itself well to a, a mid-range jumper, and he doesn't get a ton of elevation on it. So if he's playing more of a three-slash-four at the NBA level, that can end up being a little bit of concern. When it comes to the handle... It is a little clunky in some regards, but it's not the the highest on my list of concerns for what Whitmore needs to iron out as a freshman at Villanova in order to, to show that he's NBA ready. Now, I'm a huge Cam Whitmore fan. Maybe some of that is just from the nightmares that he gave me and, and the team that I coach from having to go against him twice last year. But phenomenal talent and definitely somebody that I think is tailor-made for the NBA game and it's positionless. Uh, really era right now. Out of Dare podcast. Uh, Out of Dare podcast has a, a different question here. Which players do you think are can't miss all-star level players in this draft class? I don't know if there is such a thing as a can't miss all-star level player because injuries, because development is never linear. It's always hard to try to figure out who the safest bets are. Like, Scoot and Victor are always going to be one, two in that conversation. They have not just the highest upside, but 
we've already seen them be impactful at professional levels of basketball that can give you a sort of, of comfort in projecting what they're going to be in the NBA. They're both high usage type of guys. I think Victor can be an incredibly impactful defender, maybe even from day one when he steps into the NBA. Um, beyond that, I don't know if there's anybody that I'd call can't miss in this class. I think there's an opportunity to miss on everybody. Uh, I love Derek Whitehead and Keontae George for their scoring ability. I think Amen Thompson has the highest ceiling probably outside of Victor and Scoot. Uh, Cam Whitmore we talked about as being somebody whose game translates really well. But none of these guys are what I consider can't miss. And uh, and part of that is just how damn hard it is to be an all-star at the NBA level. That's just something really difficult to accomplish. All right, a bunch of other questions from, from some friends of the podcast here. Corbin Ford, who, by the way, if you have not followed his work, if you have not listened to our episode with Corbin from a, a couple weeks ago going over the Western Conference and our preview there, Great stuff. Corbin's the absolute best, really engaging personality and guy. Shout out Corbin, but make sure you go follow and support him in all of his work. Uh, he asked who the best pick and pop prospects are in this class. It's an interesting one. Um, I don't think that there are a ton of fully developed pick and pop guys that are going to be coming out in this draft class. I'd say Kyle Filipowski for Duke is probably the closest that we'll have. And he's just not a certain one and done. So it's hard to really call him a prospect for this class. I do have a borderline first first round grade on him. I think Filipowski's underrated in terms of his feel, his passing ability, and his mobility on defense. Uh, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he is a lot quicker than you might think. I've seen him up close and personal in some really intriguing matchups. He played an AAU game that I was courtside for against uh, the, the team that had Derek Lively and Jalen Duran on it. And I thought Filipowski outplayed both of them in that contest. So uh, I, I like his game. I like his competitiveness a lot. He's a knockdown shooter, the definition of a stretch four or maybe a stretch five in the right type of lineup. So pick and pop impact for him there is definitely going to be one of his biggest strengths. I think Johan Traore for Auburn is, a, that's another guy who could be a one and done, might need a couple of years in school, but uh, the, the shooting ability and prowess to stretch the floor as a bigger guy is, is really appealing to him. You know, I haven't given up on F.A. Abajidi playing for the G League Ignite this year, two years at Washington State. All we heard from him in that time there was, man, this guy has all the potential to be a stretch shooter, and we just haven't seen it. Um, it he has the potential. His stroke has some evidence of looking clean, but he's got to be able to knock it down consistently, and this is year three of him being on a lot of NBA radars. It hasn't come together yet, but if we're having a conversation about pick-and-pop bigs, I think that playing alongside Scoot Henderson, playing alongside City Sissoko, uh, there are opportunities for him to pick and pop in an impactful way that clears the lane for all of those pass first handling guards that the Ignite have. He's going to have to be able to do so and, and do so consistently. Uh, I think that we'll definitely find out by the end of this draft cycle, if that is going to be a role for him or if really the ship has sailed on him turning into a workable three point shooting prospect. Good question though, Corbin. 
Urson Demir, another friend of ours on the podcast. <clears throat> Specific question about one prospect here and a guy that we actually liked a lot in last year's draft cycle before he withdrew his name and decided to go back to school. That's Harrison Ingram of Stanford. Urson's question, if Harrison Ingram gets more and more comfortable with his jumper this season, would I be comfortable picking him in the top 20? So there is a certain stereotype or archetype, as it's known, of player that I really tend to go for. Guys who are bigger wings that have really solid feel, can handle the ball a little bit, and can shoot. And Harrison Ingram, very good defender, six foot eight, long arms, can probably defend threes and fours. Great feel for the game. Unbelievable passer, works uh, with quick twitch decision-making, can operate as a handler out of the pick and roll. I think he's got a lot of short roll upside just on how he processes the game. Loves to mismatch post when he gets smaller guys on him, something he takes advantage of a lot at Stanford. I'm not sure how much that will be his NBA role or usage. If the shot comes around, I think it's going to depend on two things. One, how much of it is a mechanical tweak as opposed to just his numbers going up in year two. I think that there are some mechanical concerns because of the speed of his release that in an NBA court where there are sure there's a little bit more space to operate in, but defenders are a little bit longer. They're a lot more in tune to scouting reports. You need to be able to, to get your release off pretty quickly. And then the second thing for me is, you know, not just the mechanical tweaks, but how consistently is he making shots? Uh, last year, there was a lot of up and down periods of his play. It looked like he was turning a corner around mid to late January. I think he got up to somewhere around 32, 33%, and then just took a nosedive over the final five to six weeks of the year. So a lot to go through with Ingram and his jump shot. If it comes, like, yeah, I can see it, but I'm really skeptical that he's going to do enough with his jump shot to make it so that there are no concerns uh, with him as an off-ball player. I think that I would have to be in the no-concern category in order for him to vault into the top 20. And a lot of that speaks to the depth of this freshman class. I've mentioned it before on some podcasts and a couple of videos we've done on YouTube. I think the top 16 guys in this draft are probably going to be one and dones or guys who are, this is their first time in the, in the draft pool. So uh, I think it's a really deep freshman class. And because of that, it just, it leaves no margin for error for a guy like Harrison Ingram to continue to scratch and crawl his way up draft boards. Zovn, oh God, I'm just not good with these international pronunciations. Zovnamir Bricalo, uh, another frequent supporter here. Shout out to Big Z. Uh, thoughts about Miro Little. Uh, really impressed during Eurobasket. Felt like he showed a combination of skill and composure that is well beyond his years. I agree. I certainly agree with that sentiment. Um, really impressive player. I am going to be keeping my eye on him long term. And, and think that he has potential to be a, a top five or a top 10 type of prospect. Just what he's doing feel-wise at a young age and ability to get to spots. You know, there are a lot of guys who have advanced feel, but they look physically outmatched when they're at a younger age. I definitely don't see that with a guy like him. Uh, I think that he has the physical capability to go with it, and I'm really looking forward to diving in a lot more to his type of game. You, by the way, Eurobasket was awesome this year. Um, the combination of younger guys, of kind of, you know, lesser known prospects in the mainstream area who made a massive impact to, to their teams and, and standout performances while also seeing, you know, your stereotypical NBA guys go out there and have fantastic impacts like Jokic or Rudy Gobert or, um, 
<clears throat> I'm forgetting so many others. I mean, Luka Doncic was fantastic this summer. It's just, it was a great, great, great summer of, of basketball in so many different formats. And I think that's what makes a guy like, you know, Miro pop out a little bit more because you know, the level of competition was so strong. All right. Aiden at Lacroeur one, <clears throat> which freshman would benefit the most from spending all four years at school? So this is an interesting question and a really tough one to wrap my head around because there's a, a dichotomy in here of whether it's best for a prospect to stay because they're going to need a long time to develop, to be ready for the NBA, or because their game is just so tailor-made for college. Think of a Drew Timmy. Think of a Tyler Hansbrough. That rushing to try to get to the NBA ultimately might you know, lower their overall impact and legacy that they can have on the game. So I'm really torn by which way to, to answer that. Like I think a Jaime Jaquez, a Drew Timmy, these are guys who are just so impactful in college with maybe some athletic question marks that that's probably the direction that I'm going to turn and how I try to answer this question. That's somebody who I would say is less of an athlete, but just a really skilled player in this freshman class is the right type of candidate to, to really bring up here. But I don't know if there's anybody who's jumping out to me just at first glance or first thought who kind of fits that bill. I, you know what, I'm going to think on this a little bit more as we're going through the podcast and I may come back to this at the end. So an interesting question, Aiden. Stephen Gillespie, shout out, Stephen. Good to have you home, my friend. Thank you for all that you do. Um, love being able to communicate with you and, and really appreciate this question. It's one that we went back and forth on. I had to get a clarification on how you were asking this one. So Stephen's question was, if you had to draft a team, versus a, a singular player. What college or G League, OTE, what international program would I draft to build around? And this would be for just this draft cycle. So if we're looking at a roster, the current guys that are on that non-NBA team's roster with draft-eligible guys, who would I take and try to build an NBA franchise around or with those pieces? I have thought about this one. I'm torn between two programs right now. The first is the G League Ignite because they have Scoot Henderson, but they have some intriguing live-bodied athletes. They've got some upside that I think could net the most superstars of any team in this draft. And that's with Leonard Miller, City Sissoko. Two guys that really do have high ceilings. Uh, if you hit on one of those two and you get Scoot Henderson, we're looking at some really, really capable guys. Uh, again, I mentioned F.A. Abajidi earlier, not a guy that I would want to give up on just yet. So this is the team that has that one star player, two high upside swings. I would probably feel comfortable getting and developing those guys. The other name is Duke for me. Um, I don't think they have the same star potential, but they have two guys that I have top 10 grades on in Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively. I mentioned Kyle Filipowski earlier, a really good pick and pop stretch four, stretch five type of shooter with competitive defense. 
Tyrese Proctor is a guy whose game could pop at the next level, just a really high basketball IQ. Like Duke has, has a lot of functional pieces. Um, and that's not, you know, not even mentioning a guy like Mark Mitchell. That's I'm sure leaving off a couple of upperclassmen and guys that have, have made a positive impact. So uh, this is a tough one for me to answer. I think I probably lean Duke because I know how the pieces fit together and feel that they blend a little bit more than the G league, but man, is it hard to turn down scoop? Um, he's just, he's a really, really damn good prospect and player. All right. A couple more here. Chris LeBron, the press shout out to the off ball pod guys. Uh, those guys do an awesome job at off the ball. Trace Jackson Davis question, and this is one that I'm looking forward to answering. If Trace extends his shooting range and matches production from last year, can he be a top 45 pick? I think the answer is yes. I think even without solidified shooting range, he can find his way into the top 45. He's become a pretty polished interior defender. We know he's a fantastic athlete um, and just has a natural propensity to play in up-tempo schemes. I think as a small ball five, he'll have a lot of utility, excuse me, at the next level. Um, I've long had my concerns about Trace. It's one of the reasons why I'm not overly high on him. I don't have him as a top 45 or even a top 60 guy on my board. I think there's a little bit of lack of feel. I've been concerned by how many years have gone by where he's mentioned trying to add shooting range or decision-making away from the basket being able to play with the ball in his hands at the top of the key a little bit more. And year after year, it turns into, you know, post-up play and a little bit more of an athletic showcase. Like, I just, I don't know how much longer I can be holding out on, on the upside of what he turns into. But if he does add shooting, and that's what the question is really about, if he's able to reliably stand his shooting range, yeah, he's, he's a different type of prospect, really intriguing because I think it allows him to play the four in some bigger lineups as well as uh, you know, spread the floor in, in a really effective way. Uh, Schoolboy underscore 11. Hi, Coach Spins. At the moment, who is your favorite sleeper type of player in the 2023 NBA draft? I have to make a confession here. I tend not to pay too much attention to other people's boards. Uh, I may glance at the ESPN one every now and then because I think it gives me a feel for some of the consensus that's building out there. And then Sam Vecini, uh, you know, a guy who I co-host the, the Game Theory podcast with, certainly trust his work. We go back and forth about placement of guys and, and comparison from time to time. So that's really the only context that I have to know who might be underrated, overrated, where they're currently projected by different type of outlets. So it's hard for me to know exactly who is a sleeper and who isn't, but I do have a couple of names who I'm pretty certain I like more than consensus. One of them is for his raw tools, not necessarily for his feel. And that's Jordan Hawkins out of Connecticut. I did a video on him over the summer think he has a great deal of defensive potential. His game is one at the NBA level that I think can be played similar to that of an Avery Bradley, where he's, you know, a great defensive impact on the floor, but he's also somebody who can do a little bit with the ball in his hands, not going to be your primary option, but can hit a pull up, can knock down some catch and shoot threes, can get to the basket and finish. Like I, I really like 
the versatility of his offensive game. None of it is very good right now. All of it is kind of average and mediocre. But if he's able to tap into one or two of those things to continue to grow, I think I'm going to be a, a really big fan. Other guys who I like more than consensus, um, I'm a big Tucker DeVries guy over at Drake. I love his feel for the game. I think that when I'm looking for sleepers, I have had my pendulum shift from really weighing three-point shooters and guys who I believe are going to be consistent at that role to guys who have a really high feel for the game. I think DeVries is the closest thing we would have in this class to a Jake LaRavia type of prospect, somebody who has a scalable role to be more of a catch-and-shoot guy but can attack closeouts, make positive plays, compete on the defensive end, has good size. I really, really like him in that regard. Uh, also got to give a shout-out to A.J. Hoggard at Michigan State. I just really, really like his game and think that his playmaking is going to pop. Benjamin at Ben underscore G. Uh, that's G E E G. Uh, Benjamin wants to know which college upperclassman outside of returning all Americans do I think has the biggest chance of getting a guaranteed deal in June? You know, I don't have the all American list memorized. Like I'm assuming that that counts out guys like Jaime Jaquez, Oscar Shibway, Drew Timmy, like we're, we're trying to push those guys to the side for a second. Upperclassman, uh, Mike Miles out of TCU is now an upperclassman. I'm a really big fan of his. Caleb Love is now an upperclassman at North Carolina. I would say the exact same thing for him. Uh, those are just, just two guys whose games I really like. And then I got to throw Marcus Sasser out there, a guy who was not an All-American last year, but I think was on pace to be had he stayed healthy the entire year. Had an unbelievable showing in the G League Combine and got brought up to the NBA Combine. Obviously, injuries and working his way back from a lower body injury prevented him from playing at his fully capable level the entire time. But he proved to me during that week that what we see at Houston is sustainable, and he's definitely a, a guy that deserves to be on an NBA floor. All right, Fliz up. I don't. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm not really good at at reading people's Twitter handles. Uh, Fliz up. Favorite three and D prospects in this class. This one I am uh, I'm balking on this type of question. So part of this is me trying to get a little bit further away from using three and D as a crutch to try to explain players because I think it doesn't justify or it doesn't describe accurately the type of defensive roles that a certain prospect really needs to be able to show. Are they multi-positional? Are they positionally, you know, just stuck at one spot, but they can guard it really well? Are they guarding threes and fours? Are they guarding twos, threes, and fours? Are they switchable one through four? The term three and D doesn't give enough context to really talk about their role identification at the next level, other than they're a plus defender and they can knock down open catch and shoot shots. So I'm trying to stay away from that type of description uh, three and D, but in the traditional sense of guys who I think are positive defenders and are going to be able to just knock down jumpers. Uh, Chris Murray out of Iowa has snuck into the first round conversation for me. He may end up showing more this year for the Hawkeyes. It's something that Keegan did last year. 
I wouldn't be shocked if Chris does a little more off the bounce, but his NBA role to me is more pick and pop, space the floor to the corners and the wings, and then defend threes and fours at the NBA level. So I, I would put him as a kind of preferred three and D type of prospect. I think uh, Mr. Reeves at Florida, Kawasi Reeves, really good shooter. I'd like to see him be more consistent. He was streaky, finished the year on a high note, but has all of the athletic tools to be a positive defender. I can see him more as a two through four type of guy that has a, a positive impact on that end of the floor. All right here. Um, specific question from the flare screen asking about our early season rankings. And I did want to make sure I hit this one here. Uh, what's the reasoning for having Anthony black ahead of Amen Thompson. So that was from a big board that we had had out here at the earlier stages of the summer. It has since flipped. Amen Thompson is up into our top five after watching his film as OTE went on their European tour. Um, but I do have Anthony Black above a sore Thompson. And I don't know if that is a similar type of question for some people or why I would feel that way. It comes down to me, the fact that I, I really buy into Anthony Black's basketball IQ, his proactive playmaking ability, size as a little bit more of a lead guard. Uh, his shot does need a lot of work, but I think it shows more promise than a guy like a sore. He's nowhere near the type of defender that a sore is, but I think that, the lack of shooting that a sore brings to the table really is going to prevent him from being scalable to playing off the ball in a lot of ways. And because of that, you know, I, I see Anthony black as a guy that can play 30 minutes a night in the NBA. I, I think with a sore, you have to commit to putting the ball in his hands. You have to commit to really believing the jump shot is going to come around or just knowing that his defense is going to be elite, elite, elite. I'm not quite there on any of those fronts. I see the upside and potential for them to come. That's why Asor is still a lottery prospect for me. But I am a really big fan of Anthony Black, and that's a reason why I have him ahead of Asor. But Amen has, has definitely passed them in, in my regard. The last question to get through here, and I wanted to save it for last. Our man Nathan Grubel, draft deeper. If you're not following any of the guys at No Ceilings, they're everywhere. They do a great job covering the NBA draft. I know they've got a lot of exciting new features coming in this draft cycle. Uh, really love those guys, and, and Nathan, no exception. He's been on our podcast before. I've been on his, done some home-and-home home series. This was an interesting question here, and I wanted to make sure we hit on it. Outside of Victor and Scoop, who is the next prospect that you feel has the highest upside in the 2023 class? This is where... I leave you guys on a cliffhanger in a few days as we get through this weekend here, September 24th, 25th, we're going to have a video coming out on YouTube of our six highest ceiling prospects that are playing college basketball this year. So make sure you tune into our YouTube channel coming up for our answer to Nathan's question. We may even give Nathan a little bit of a shout out on our recording and our audio voiceover of that question. There are a lot of guys in this class. I couldn't pick just one. So I chose to break down and really detail six of them. Thank you all so much for your questions, for your continued support here of the box and one and the box and one podcast. Remember, leave comments, subscribe ratings, all of the little details and nuts and bolts that go into helping us continue to rise up those boards and provide you with even more 
NBA draft content. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching, and we'll see you next week.